I like to say that feet are your foundation, but uh, you know, if you're going to build a house or something, you have the foundation, then you have the next layer and that's just as important. And what is that layer when it comes to your feet and ankles it may not be what you think and what you need to do with it for optimal health may definitely not be what you think. We're going to find out more about that on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first, but now we're going to move up a little bit. And it's also where we look at the propaganda, the mythologies, and sometimes the flat out lies you've been told about what it takes to run, walk, hike, play, do yoga, CrossFit, dance, dance, revolution, sim racing. I mean, anything you can do on your feet to do that enjoyably and efficiently, effectively, did I say enjoyably? Of course I did. It's a trick question because if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep doing it. So find a way to make it fun. Uh, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, your host of the Movement Movement Podcast. And we call it that because we're creating a movement, more about that in a second, about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do. And so, in fact, if you want to find out more, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. There's nothing you need to do to join. There's no membership fee. There's no nothing. There's no secret handshake. Uh, it's just, that's where you can find previous episodes, all the ways you can find the podcast in all your favorite places uh, and how you can find us online in other places, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what to do when you get there, review, like us, give us a thumbs up, click the bell icon on YouTube. In short, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. So let us jump in and find out what is the next the next floor, if you will, uh, once we get from your feet. Um, Butch, do me a favor. Tell people who you are and what the hell you're doing here. <laughs> yeah, my name, is, my name is Butch Phelps. I'm a functional massage therapist. And uh, many times when people hear that, they think, well, you're doing massages. But I really focus on the mechanics of the human body from the muscles perspective. Uh, I also have a degree in aging sciences. So I've studied how the human body ages over time from age 25 to death. And it's interesting as I put these things together, how the muscles can control so much of the aches and pains. So I've spent the last 20 years working on my own body originally because I had severe back pain at 40 years old and was able to solve that, solve the problems and stop the pain. And so I've been teaching people ever since. I love the, the first thing you said about muscles and movement. Um, have you ever heard Joe Rogan's comment about what fighting is? I have not. His line is, fighting is the art of using your muscles to throw your bones at people. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's exactly true because, you know, there, there's a scientific law, I think it's called Wolf's Law, that says that the bones follow the muscles. And what people forget is that without the muscles, the bones would just kind of fall to the floor like a, a, a dish rag. Let I me mean, right. think of a quadriplegic, you see what I'm saying? And so it's like when people talk about their bones hurt, many times it's the muscles creating that. It's amazing. You gave me a, a funny flashback. I was a street performer. Oh my God, 40, uh, holy crap. Yeah. 40 years ago. And, <laughs> um, and after I was done, I was, did a lot of tumbling on the street and a bunch of other things. And my knees were killing me. And mm -hmm. I went to various doctors and they, they would put me on a Cybex machine or something. And I would like max the thing out. You can't max out a Cybex machine, but I had, you know, crazy strength. And they were saying, well, you're seemingly fine. I went, did you notice I could barely walk in here? Right. And they, they never understood that what was going right. on was something on the, in the muscular system where even right. though I was strong, I wasn't strong enough in the right way. And so things were out of whack and I figured it out somehow and been, was fine ever since. Yeah. Well, and, and sadly today, I run into the same thing on a daily basis. And, and what happens is understanding that the muscles cross the joints. In other words, all the muscles on the lower leg crosses the knee, the upper leg crosses the knee. And when those muscles get tight, from walking, 
from thinking because muscles are very emotional. Okay. When they get tight like that, it puts pressure on the joint, squeezes out the synovial fluid, which is like a WD-40. It's a cushioning agent and a lubricant in the knee. And when you do that, now you start to hit bone on bone into the knee and damaging the cartilage in here. And so, and I work with doctors all the time. And it's like when we're talking about it, and the same thing in, in my background in education, nobody really teaches us about that mechanical impact of the muscles from the movements that we do. Most of it, if you look at peer-reviewed studies on the muscles, most of it is about strength training. Interesting. So Dr. Isabel Sacco in Brazil, she did a study. She took a bunch of women who were 65 plus who had knee osteoarthritis and put them in a super cheap minimalist shoe. And over time, their the amount of pain went down, the amount of uh, medication they were taking for pain went down. For many of them, the knee osteoarthritis went away. Yes. And I asked her, I said, you know, why do you think that happened? She goes, the muscular system got stronger in the right way, took the pressure yeah. off the joints. Yes. And, um, and then we were joking. It's like when they do research on knee osteoarthritis with animals, they'll take a rabbit, extend its leg, hit its heel. So it's putting force into the knee joint until it gets arthritis. Then they'll test whatever drug they're testing. But the control is the original rabbit where they just stop hitting its damn foot. Exactly. You know, everything exactly. gets better over time. Exactly. Well, and, and the thing to keep in mind, and I just read an article by a doctor written the other day in the, in the newspaper, and he was talking about our training is about how to alleviate the pain, not find the cause. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah and that's I, how I was taught. You reminded me of another one. There's a um, a, a sprinting uh, a sprinter slash sprinting coach. Oh, this is so embarrassing. I'm blank. His name is not popping into my head. It will at some point. Uh, anyway, out of the UK, he calls strength training the thing you do after you're done working out to get your body back in balance. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's like you're going to get all out of whack when you're sprinting or running a marathon. Exactly. Back in shape. Exactly. Because again. When you look at the mechanics of the of the leg, the mechanics of the foot going all the way up into the hip, you've got so many stabilizing muscles around those joints that in a particular sport, and when I was younger, I played football, basketball, and baseball, but in a particular sport, you get into a routine and a habit of going one direction. Right. And if you shift and go to a different sport, which you realize is you feel like you're out of shape, even though you're not. Yeah. But you're not used to using the muscles in that way. So when I went from football, which was pushing and shoving people, to jumping on a basketball court, I was using two very different sets of muscles, you see. And that's he's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, people talk. So when I'm as a sprinter, people say, well, in the winter, you know, could you could cross train. I went, no. There's mm-hmm. no carryover from riding a bike or whatever else to sprinting. So no, that doesn't. And, and we don't think about it. We think about people just being in shape. But yeah. we don't think about that sort of motion specific or activity specific thing. Yeah. What and 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 the limitations that creates as well as the opportunities. Well, exactly right because you know especially up in the hips on the outside of each of the hips are two muscles called tensor fascia latus, and and those muscles every time you take a step forward they expand as the leg comes back they contract. The thing is is that depending on the movements that you have one of those can go into a slight spasm shift the pelvis slightly sideways. And you'll have massive back pain or you'll have massive knee pain. And this is a muscle not much bigger than that. It's just a tiny muscle. But those are the kind of things that that people don't fully understand. So when you get into the calves where you're talking about four muscles, you're talking about three muscles in the hamstrings. When you're doing something like golf, for instance, or tennis, 
uh, you're going to wind up with back pain when they're tight. I've never met a golfer with back pain that didn't have tight calves and tight hamstrings. Interesting. The thing is, is the way we stretch them, where we, you know, put a heel down on the floor, or we lean against a slam board or against the wall, or if we're doing our hamstrings, we lay on our back with both legs flat out and we pick one leg up. We're not stretching those muscles. We're doing strength training exercises because the brain plays a huge role with that, you see. So, oh God, I got so many things to think about. <laughs> so, uh, uh, first of all, we've already hinted about what I hinted about at the top of the call, which is, you know, what's the floor above the foundation, if you yeah. will, in that horrible analogy, uh, past your foot, and it's going to be the calf. So, we're going to talk about the calf, but okay. I want to put a bookmark on this one. There's uh, someone else, I don't remember. Uh, I, I did uh, have him on the podcast, um, John Call, a.k.a. Juji Mufu. Juji is famous. He's a bodybuilder, strength trainer, and he's mm -hmm. famous for being on America's Most Wanted and doing the splits between two chairs while holding mm -hmm. Heidi Klum over his head. And he, and he and other people talk about flexibility as right. not being about stretching the muscles, but about strength. Right. So I want to talk about flexibility and strength. Yeah. Um, but let's start with the one floor above the foundation. You hit number right. one in the elevator. If you're uh, actually, if you're in Europe and number two on the elevator, if you're here. So, <laughs> so let's dive into the calf and the importance thereof and what people don't understand about the calf. Got it. Continue. Got it. Got it. Okay. So if we started that first level, we're looking at a foot with 29 muscles, 26 bones and 33 articulations. Now above that coming from the calf, we have four calf muscles that make up the calf area on the backside of that lower leg. The calf muscles are responsible for the foot on a lateral supination or pronation of so vertical. For people who are listening, so people yeah. who are listening for supination and pronation, put your hand out flat and then just tilt it left or right, like you're pretending to be an airplane flying and you're just tilting left or right. It doesn't matter which one's pronation or supination because that'll depend on which foot you're looking at. So just exactly. know that that's, that's the lateral motion we're talking about. All right. Exactly. And then, then the third thing that it does is rotation. So when we're rotating our body, we mostly think of our hips rotating. I've heard golfers talk about it. I've heard tennis players talk about it. Baseball players talk about it, the rotation of the hips. But the problem is, is if the calf area has not been stretched properly, then what happens, the little rotating muscles in the hips overwork fighting with the bigger muscles in the calves, causing back pain. Now, the calves roll when it comes to walking and what we do every single day, and this is where your shoes play a role, is that when the calves are stretched properly and the ankle can bend properly beyond the 90 degrees, what happens is that now when they push off, if the shoe can bend, if, it, if they push off with their foot, they're going to push off with their toes. But if you watch most people walk with thicker sole shoes that don't bend, they're going to walk with the upper quadriceps, which is the front of the thighs. And when the front of the thighs get tight, you'll wake up tomorrow morning with a stiff low back almost every time. It's so interesting. People don't think about the role of certainly the quads or the hamstrings when it comes to back pain, but even moving up closer, they don't realize what the hip is doing. They think yeah. it's their back. Um, yeah. I remember there was way back when, when I just started Zero Shoes, someone gave me an ebook and I wish I could find it, but organization is not my thing. Um, that was basically all about getting rid of back pain and it was all glute exercises. Yes, yes. And so, so the, the lower back pain, and that's what got me in trouble. And that's how I got in this business was that I had back pain so bad at 40. I just lost 105 pounds at 37, worked out like a fiend, like everybody else. And I got so stiff and so tight that I had back pain that would literally drop me to my knees. I'd get out of my car, 
put my hands out to walk out of my car and then grab my the handles on my car door and pull me back, back up. And everybody kept looking at my back, but there wasn't a problem there. And what I found out was that my upper quads and the rotating muscles in my hips had hardened. And when they did, it tilted the pelvis forward, increasing the compression in my lower back. Holy moly. So yeah. all right, let's go back to the calf for a bit. So let's yeah. talk more then about what the calf's doing and from a rotational perspective, mm-hmm. what the problems people might have that might, maybe they could self-diagnose this in some way. Yeah. And you know, what you're actually doing with people to restore natural function. Exactly right. So my whole issue back to what I was dealing with with the back pain literally started with my calves because because the calves didn't move properly, it forced me to use my hips and my thighs to walk. And if you watch most people walk, in fact, most of my clients, they'll always laugh because I say to them, watch your friends walk. And when they walk across, look at one of their feet. And, And if you watch their foot, and the typical shoe, it bends just around the toe area, but up around the arch area, there's no bend, there's no give there, so the ankle doesn't bend. So the foot literally stays flat as they walk, but it forces them to walk with the front of their thighs, which are the quads, especially the upper part of it. And if you go even further up the line, you'll see their head is out in front of their chest. They'll lead with their nose and not their belly button. You know, I wonder if this is related. I've seen this a bunch of times. The research shows that the best way to engage the arch of the foot for all the reasons that that's valuable is landing sort of ball of your foot, basically midfoot to yes. your ball of your foot, depending on how you're doing it. And yeah. some people say, well, can I just run like that in regular shoes? I was actually watching someone on the trail this morning and she was landing forefoot, but she's in a shoe with a big, thick yeah. heel. Yeah. And yeah. so she's not actually letting her Achilles stretch. Mm-hmm and provide all that rebound, you know, spring-like action. So how does just being in a higher-heeled shoe impact the calf in a way that then talk, impacts oh, all these other things we're talking about? Perfect. So there's a study that was done in 2018 at Harvard by Dr. Daniel Lieberman. Mm-hmm. And he, he had the same guy on a treadmill that was running barefoot. He was running with minimalist shoes, and he was running with normal running shoes. What he found was, was that the thicker the heel on the shoe – the more we'll get to the heel toe type of a walk. Well, so when you have that heel toe and you step down into the heel, it drives because as soon as the heel hits the ground, it stops you for that moment and it drives your weight straight back up through your skeletal system. So in in hitting where you're hitting right around the ball of the foot or actually just behind the ball of the foot there, that arch then flexes like a shock absorber allows the articulations in the foot to literally give to add cushion from the impact to the knee. And then the calf muscles, by allowing the ankle to bend more than 90 degrees, allows you then to use your muscles in your feet to push off with your toes into your next step. Mm. And And by the way, when we talk about letting the foot be more than 90 degrees, um, the idea is uh, bending your, uh, having your toes coming up towards your knees, not pointing your toes. Right. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But but that's the thing is that and when I got into this business, I I never really thought I'd get into feeding calves, but it sort of morphed into that. Okay. Yeah. Because I get a lot of people down here who are in their 70s, 80s and even 90s with joint replacements. And what you start to find out is that once you free those muscles, now all of a sudden they can go back to just about full range of motion. Fair. It's amazing to watch them. So backing up a little bit, for people who want to self-diagnose about whether their calves are causing them problems, what could they do? 
So there's a couple of things. Number one is is when you take a stride and, and you walk, have someone to take a look at your ankles to see if they've been beyond 90 degrees is the easiest way to do it. Number two, if you're sitting on the floor and you have no one to watch you, take like a yoga strap, a piece of rope or a towel, put around the ball of your foot. Now, as you're sitting on the floor, have your hips and back against the wall so that one leg is straight out in front of you. Take that yoga strap or rope around the ball of your foot and just gently pull the toes back towards you. What you will feel is a tightness up behind the knee. But more importantly, when you look at your ankle, you'll see how little the foot actually moves from the ankle. And that'll tell you. And the mistake that people make when they're trying to stretch their muscles is that they want to pull as long as they can for as hard as they can because they think that the muscles are mad with them and want to fight with them. But it's really their brain fighting with them, okay? Because the brain is designed to, to protect you. And so once you pull for a long period of time and you create pain in that muscle, then what happens is the brain will contract the muscle fighting with you, and now you're doing a bicep curl. So what you want is you want the brain to, as you breathe out while you're doing the stretch, relax the tension in the calf muscle. And as the brain sees that it can easily do that, release it after about five to six second hold, and then come back again. And what you'll see is that the foot then will move just a tad further than it did the first time. Is it because valuable? the brain is no longer afraid. Is it valuable to do... Um... Well, it's not reciprocal inhibition. What is it if you're, uh, so you've got the towel around your foot. If you're yeah. pushing your tr- foot, trying to point your toe as All hard right. as you can and then release and then pull and stretch, what's that called again? Okay, so so I understand, what, I can't remember the name of that, but I understand what you're talking about. The idea behind that is that as you push the toe downward, you're contracting the calf muscle, which puts it into a form of fatigue. Then the fatigue allows it to relax. And, and the idea is now I can pull it back and it will relax. Here's the problem. The muscles are more emotional than they are physical. (laughs) So the brain itself, if it doesn't know that it can do that without pain, won't let you do it. That's why your brain won't let you jump off the side of a building without a parachute. And for some of us, even with a parachute, my brain still won't let me do that. Okay. But the thing is, is that the brain then, as you start to stretch that muscle, the brain is anticipating there's going to be pain because for most of us, the way we've always been taught about stretching is that we're going to create pain. What we really want to do is release the tension in the muscle itself. Well, so now I want to ask actually about reciprocal inhibition. So in that case, you know, you'd be, instead of just passively stretching by pulling on the towel, you'd be actively pulling your toes towards your knees. So you're actively dorsiflexing to, so you're using all those posterior muscles in your, in your lower leg. Um, And the idea being that when you're doing that or, and doing that under load as well, I mean, if you do that under load uh, using the, the tibialis that way, then that's, that could relax the calf as well because no. of no. say no oh interesting no. tell me more because what will happen is is when but you I'm gonna tighten, the, so good right so when you tighten this, the tibialis anterior the peroneus muscles and the shins themselves if you tighten it trying to to stretch the calf back out what you'll do is is fatigue the shin muscles which will wind up with the knee pain just below the kneecap so you've heard of shin splints yes well that's what you get 
Well, so the the thing that I'm going to toss in the question is, so um, there's another friend of us, um, a guy named Ben Patrick. He's known as the knees over toes guy. And mm-hmm. he developed a, he developed, helped develop the first device to be able to do loaded uh, exercises for the posterior tib. Right. So, yeah. Anterior actually. So is there value in strengthening those muscles, which typically yeah. don't get any attention? Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. There is because you want to keep your muscles strong and you want to have the stamina so that you can walk as long as you want to run as long as you want without having any injury. I always say to my clients, think of, think of stretching and strength training like gas and oil in your car. They do two very different things, but if you leave one out, the car is going to stop. All right. So the same thing happens in the body. So you want the strength training so that a, you have the strength and the stamina to do all the things that you want to do in your life, no matter what your age is, But at the same time, if you don't have the flexibility and the pliability in your body, now what happens is that you use part of that strength just to move from A to B. Right. So so we've done our test to see what our uh, calf is able to do. And holy crap, I just had another flashback. Actually, this is a, a reciprocal inhibition flashback that you will get a kick out of. So when I got back into sprinting 15-ish years ago, I was getting injured all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I pulled a calf muscle repeatedly. And I just hadn't thought of this till right now. And I went and saw this one sports medicine guy. And he had me do the classic calf stretch. I'm facing the wall. I step back. I lean into the wall and see how far I can stretch. But then he was having me do the reciprocal inhibition. So while I'm stretching, trying to push my foot into the ground, my toes into the ground without lifting my heel off the ground, Mm -hmm. and then relaxing and stretching more. And I got like way, way far, like crazy far down. And then I couldn't walk for a week. Right. Right. Um, because of the reciprocal inhibition. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that was a crazy thought, but anyway, so we, so <laughs> without doing, you know, something stupid like that and my God, if I had a list of the number of stupid things I've done to my body in the name of trying to make it better, I'd be anyway. So we've identified that there may be some calf tightness that we want to address. Yeah. Uh, and again, just as a, to, to reiterate, Part of doing this is to take the pressure off of the hip and the upper thigh, which will then take pressure off the back as well. So that's our goal. Um, Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do short of coming to see you work on that calf? Absolutely. So the couple of things I'm going to do, and and I'm going to set up a landing page. I got a landing page set up that your your listeners can go to to actually see the videos of these stretches that I'm going to talk about. With the calf stretch, what we want to do with that is if you can sit on the floor, have your hips and back against the wall, one leg straight out in front of you. Use something like a, a yoga strap, a rope. Wait, a wait, pause right there. What's the other leg doing? The other leg is just laying off to the side. Okay, got it. You can so, bend it however, however you feel comfortable there with it. Now, if, if someone can't get on the floor, you can also do this in a hard back chair, like a dining room chair with your foot up on an ottoman. You can do the same thing. The key to it is, is something solid on your back so that your back doesn't go backwards. But you, you put that strap or that rope around the ball of your foot. And what you're going to do is you're going to pull the toes back towards you with your hands. Do not use your leg muscles, but just use your hands. You're going to breathe out as you pull your toes back. Let that tension relax for five seconds. Let it go. And you're going to repeat it 10 times. Now, the five seconds, the reason for that is not to kick in the stretch reflex because once you hold it beyond five seconds and there's pain, the brain will contract the muscle to get you out of the pain. The 10 time repetition is to allow the brain to see that I can do this and I didn't die. 
now. <laughs> so, and that's, I mean, it's just, that's because, plan. that's because it's the 11th one that kills you. We all know that. Exactly right. It's exactly right. And so then once you do the 10, keep the strap in the same place, but roll the foot inward. And when you do that, now as you pull the, the toes back, instead of feeling the stretch in the middle of the calf, you're going to feel it to the outside of the calf. You're, again, you're going to do it 10 times. Then you roll the foot outward, do the same thing again, but this time you're going to feel it on the inside of the calf. So anyone who's dealing with supination, pronation issues, those inside-outside calf muscles will help you in that realm and also help you in rotation for that. That's one of the best calf stretches I've found. And here's a caveat with that too. Things like plantar fasciitis, no lie, I have seen people stop their plantar fasciitis in two to three days, and they've been suffering for months. Oh, well, I, I've, I've written and talked about this a lot. The, I, the majority of the people I've met who claim they have plantar fasciitis actually just have tight calves. Exactly. Plantar fascia from the proximal side. And yep. They don't recognize that. And I want to highlight something on this rotating your foot. I mean, we'll give people the landing page to look at, but I'm guessing that the, you want to be careful when you're doing this to not be rotating your entire leg. Oh, um, huh. yeah. rotate your leg, rotate oh, the rot whole leg. The whole thing. A whole leg, yes. Ah. You want to rotate the whole thing. And, and the reason for that is that the hamstrings, which are above the calves, are the three hamstrings are tied in with those calf muscles. And so one of the rules I have with, with the stretching is always do your calves first and then do the hamstrings for that reason. Fascinating. Yeah. I um yeah, I'm playing with this. I don't have a strap, but I'm just rotating yeah, yeah. my leg yeah. and playing with this. And it's like, oh yeah, there's a there's a there there for that. <laughs> it's really fun. Well, in fact, what I'm doing, so when I externally rotate, when I rotate my legs so my toes are pointing out and I start just pulling them back, then I start to actually feel some tension in my hamstring. Yeah, yeah, you will. You will. And so and in fact, when when people have tight calves and and, and tighter hamstrings what they'll find as they start to pull back, you may feel it all the way up to the hip joint. And so is there anything to be, is there anything to pay attention to if you're feeling that, or is that just, that's what comes along with that, the that's, that's a normal thing. But, but the thing that most people will make a mistake on and the way we've always been taught to do this is we, if we start to feel it, we want to pull really hard. So if a right. little bit is good, a lot is much better. And it's like, I always say to people, no, 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 that's not how this works. What we want is to, we're showing the brain literally we're showing the brain that if we if we pull this muscle and allow it to release that tension, it can let go. So, so think about it this way. If you take someone who's passed out, have you ever been out drinking with your friends and somebody's passed out, they're like a dish rag. You could pull their legs apart, put them in splits and spreads and do whatever you want. But the minute their brain comes back online, they can't do it. And it's like, so the thing is, is that it's the brain that stops people from, from really stretching well because of the fear of pain. Two things. One, did you just admit to something you did in college that no one knew until right now? Yes. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I was actually I was not much of a drinker in college. I was a boring kind of guy, but that's a uh, stand, other day. <laughs> stand in line. The um, the other thing about that again, this is this is one of those interesting things about flexibility and um, what our friend Juju Mufu talks about is like if you're going to do splits, if you can stand in front of a table and lift your foot and put it on the table and then switch legs and do the same thing. There's no muscles crossing your hip that way that would prevent you from just doing the splits. So on the one hand, it is your brain telling you what to do. People, I don't, I don't think people really give 
credit to the brain. Um, exactly. Sorry, it's a, it's a, uh, I can't remember if it's an Emo Phillips joke or a Mitch Hedberg joke. I think it's an Emo Phillips joke. Either one of those who's saying, you know, the brain is the most important organ in your body, but look who's talking. So, um, but the people don't really think that how much, how much of our movement is actually not a limitation of our muscular system, but yeah. of the brain and the signaling you're getting. So back into Juji and doing the splits or doing one of these things, you know, one of the exercises that he talks about doing is strengthening the upper quad. So you're lifting your leg up, which mm -hmm. it's not about reciprocal inhibition as much as getting the strength to allow you, your brain to recognize that it can relax yeah. the hamstring enough to then get into the more uh, extended split. I mean, keep, I mean, keep in mind in that same vein, how many people in the country can't lift their leg to probably put their pants on? You know, I run into people every day that, that part of their goal is to be able to sit in a chair across their leg and tie their shoes. Wow. Well, that's an interesting question. So who are the people who are typically coming to you for help? What's the range of that population? It's kind of funny. Pre-pandemic, it was usually, I would say to you, people between 60, uh, 55 and 60 and older. Uh, now, since the pandemic has dropped down to about 45 and older, but they're typically people who are are trying to um, improve their lives. They want it. They're in the football, not football, but golf and tennis and biking, uh, running and so forth. And they want to improve their bodies and reduce their risk of injuries. And so when I what I do is I study the sports that they're doing, understanding the mechanics of, of how each of those athletes are moving their bodies. And then when you can start freeing those muscles up, it's amazing how quick they can change and run. And in fact, many of them, the runners themselves, I've taken them from the traditional running shoes and actually got them into wearing shoes that are more flexible, that help their feet. And, and I, zero shoes is one of the ones I always recommend, <laughs> but as a plug for you, but uh, they do switch to that. And all of a sudden they're running much better with less injuries. Yeah. I was talking to Dr. Irene Davis, who's now down in your neighborhood-ish. She's now at the University of Southern Florida. Um, and um, she was talking to some guys who were like on a track team back in the 70s before the advent, maybe the late 60s, before the advent of the modern athletic shoe with the pointy toe box and big thick heel, et cetera. And he, and he said, um, you know, we just never saw anyone get injured. It just didn't yeah. happen. I, I saw that interview with her, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. When when I work with ultra marathoners who use the minimalist shoes and they're using running barefoot, they don't have near the injuries that the marathoners have. It's the same thing. Um, one of the most successful coaches in history was Arthur Lydiard out of New Zealand and coached more Olympic and world champions than anyone else out of this tiny little country. And he was a shoemaker and his shoes were like ours, flat, <laughs> thin, wide toe box. And he did a whole lot of training that was all really about foot strengthening, basically having people um, run up mountains. That was his thing for yeah. strengthening, especially the foot. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because everything about your balance, everything about your power as you're pushing off, everything's coming from the muscles of the foot. And like I said, the foot and into the calves is what's stabilizing the rest of the body. And so when, when people have weak feet, you know, wearing arch supports and heel supports and, and the pointier toe shoes, you'll see them more and more of those people with bunions and Morton's neuromas in their feet. And so what happens is it's undermining the foundation to the body. And so now they start to compensate with their thighs or compensate with their hips, or they'll start leading, leading with their nose so they can get the momentum of their head literally going forward. Right. Not realizing that all of those things coming down their spine that they're dealing with 
started down in their feet years before. It's, uh, I wish I could remember the name of this book. Um, it's basically about how we think about the world based on our physiology in ways that people don't think about, like our eyes are in the front of our head. And, and so we don't see what we look like behind us. And so we're not, we don't pay attention to the whole posterior, everything. um, If we had eyes in both directions and that one's really interesting. I think about when people talk about um, running in minimal shoes or barefoot running and they say, well, you have to shorten your stride. I go, no, no. Stride length is a function of um, how fast you're running in your cadence, how many steps per minute you're taking. It has nothing to do with. So yes, if you pick up your cadence and run at the same speed, you will have a shorter stride, but there's just this misunderstanding about, you know, these, these things. And the reason that I bring this, that up is because you can't see your stride behind you. Right. So you don't have a sense of what the length is. If you're reaching out, you go, Oh, that's longer. But if you watch really good runners, their stride is all behind them and they have this long stride. Yeah, yeah, because because if they're running really well, that stride behind them allows them to push off with those toes is where their power comes from. That was the interesting thing about Daniel Lieberman's study was that you could see the same person on the same treadmill running the same speed and just the changing of the shoe yeah. changed everything. And it was it was just amazing. I was in the lab with uh, Dr. Bill Sands, who was the former head of, I think, biomechanics and engineering for the U.S. Olympic Committee. And what he would do when you came into his lab, he'd put you on this super big treadmill. It was like five feet wide, 10 feet long. It was really fun. In fact, it was really fun because they put you in a Mission Impossible harness in case, you know, to keep you from face planning in case all hell broke loose. And so the first thing you have to do is practice not falling on your face, which is super fun. But anyway, so he has you run in, in your favorite shoes and he's filming you from behind and from the side at 500 frames a second. And then he has you try on every other shoe that you typically wear or run in and people completely oblivious to the fact that every shoe they wore changed their gait in some very noticeable way. And then of course it changes even more as that shoe wears down the midsole, the foam wears down and they're not aware of it at all. And it was like, it was shocking to see. Yeah. It is fascinating. When I was at university of South Florida, I did an unofficial study with some, uh, some of my fellow students where we, we measured the pressure on the ball of a woman's foot in a high heel, and we'd use different heels from a flat to a two inch, three inch, and a four inch. And at flat to a two inch, that pressure only increased on the ball of the foot by 10 pounds. By the time we got to a four inch on an, on an average woman of 123 pounds, the pressure went up to 85 pounds on her ball of her foot. Holy moly. And when you tie in that the, the shoes were pointy most of the time, then what happens is it crams the toes in with all that weight down on the ball of her foot. And so you, if you'll notice anyone with pointy toe shoes, their toes will slightly splay outward and they'll push off off the inside of their big toe. Well, as you do that over time, you start to develop the bunions in, in the foot. And also in between the joints of the toes, you'll wind up with things like Morton's neuromas. But more importantly, as you get older, the muscles then collapse between what's called the metatarsal bones. It's what you can feel in your foot. And when those muscles uh, collapse like that, the foot becomes thinner. It becomes more difficult for balance. Uh, this is a, a, my analogy is, you know, you don't squeeze your fingers together to do push-ups. You spread them out because that's all right. about balance and strength production. Same thing for your feet. And exactly. it's actually the number one thing when people ask me about what I do, my typical response is I look down at their shoes and go, is that the shape of your foot? And they go, no. I go, then what are you doing in those shoes? 
Thank you. I do the same thing with you. <laughs> my wife won't even take me shoe shopping over there anymore because I go in and she's like, you see any shoes that you like? And I go, I don't see a shoe in this store I'd put on your foot. I'm sorry. They were not made for your foot. <laughs> no, Lena, Lena, my wife had, had a similar complaint. She goes, you know, I hate that we have this company. I said, why? This is years ago. She said, because I just found this really cool pair of brown boots that I wanted, but they have like a half inch heel. I put them yeah. on. I felt like I was going to fall on my face. And exactly. So, so she was the inspiration for, you know, improving our women's line. She's, yeah. I, I got to go out and raise money or do whatever I'm doing. I need footwear to wear. Yeah. yeah. So. But I've done that with a lot of my clients when they bring me their shoes in and they're like, what's wrong with my shoe? And I take it up and I'm like, does your foot look like that? No, right. it doesn't look anything like that, you know? And so they'll talk about, well, this is a lightweight shoe. So I've got Prios I'll wear and I've got the, the Hana hemp I'll wear, you know? And it's like, I'll take one of my shoes off and I'll say, now hold mine and hold yours and tell me which one is heavier. And they're like, holy cow, yours doesn't weigh anything. And I go, I know. First, first time I got a box and I picked it up and I think, I think they forgot to put the shoes in. It's so funny you say that. We just did, we we did a TikTok video that was that idea. It's like, I can't believe it. I got these, you know, someone uh, showing the the box in front of their doorstep and the, yeah. the, the packaging has been opened. It's like, I can't believe it. Someone ripped off my shoes. We got the box and it's like, I, I, I someone, I just, bought these and I ripped them off. And then he opens the box and goes, Oh my God, they're still in here. <laughs> I, know. I know. Well, I wear a size 14 and when I fold them up, I'm like, you want a shoe that'll do this? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, this is a 14. I said, you're wearing like cast on the bottom of your feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really, it, you know, it's so, what's so fascinating to me and, um, uh, and frustrating of course, is that the only reason people put up with some of this stuff is it's just been going on for so long yeah. where they didn't have an option. They think this is normal. They think your feet yeah. are supposed to hurt. They think, yeah. you know, I mean, all the stuff that just makes no sense and, and in no small part because the big shoe companies, AKA big shoe, and right. you can do the right. abbreviation for that. Right. They have been basically, their message has been, our shoes are great. If you're having a problem, it's because of you, yeah. which of course has led to the multi-billion dollar aftermarket industry of orthotics and insoles and yeah. you know, cushioning of various kinds that you would add to it, which yeah. you, you would think that people would eventually realize if there's all this other stuff that I'm supposed to add to the shoe, why can't they just fix the damn shoe to begin with? I mean, they know how to make stuff, right? right. But they right. don't. But. Right. Well, and then it's back to what I said before, you know, the shoes to alleviate the immediate foot pain. Right. What it doesn't do, what it doesn't tell you is that, yeah, we might get your arches to stop hurting, but they're going to atrophy over time. Now your knee's going to hurt, but that's not our problem. We sell shoes. I said that to people when the, when the maximalist shoes came out, God, however long ago that was, it was maybe about eight years ago when that really kicked in nine years ago. Um, I knew a bunch of successful runners who were switching to those and saying, I can put in more miles. I mean, my feet feel great. I went in two years, your knees are going to be shot. And they exactly went, right. no, no, no. And, and, and they just argued with me. And then yeah. two years later, they were all entering different sports because their knees were shot. Well, and, and the other thing is, is that the thicker the sole on a shoe, when you have like 272 nerve endings on the bottom of your feet, they're sending messages to your brain about the change in the gradation of the ground. So what happens is that the thicker the sole, the harder you're going to hit the ground because the brain is trying to get those messages from the bottom of your foot. Not only is it not bending, so that atrophies the muscles, but you're messing with the nervous system on the bottom of the foot as well. It, it blows my mind. But, you know, all of our lives, we've heard people say, well, good shoes have good art supports and heel supports and blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's just not true. There was a, a guy who went to Kenya, I believe in the 60s, a podiatrist to study the Kenyan army, where these guys all grew up in bare feet. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, that's a funny phrase, in bare feet, with bare feet would be 
more accurate um because in bare feet that's creepy um so it's <laughs> kind of a given yeah. yeah so they you know they came into the army with you know really strong and flexible and functional feet and the podiatrist's report after studying the guys in the army was a podiatrist will go broke in this country now things have of course changed because sadly people have gotten the idea that what you do in the west is somehow better and therefore we need these shoes and it's a status symbol and et cetera et cetera but um yeah 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 I mean, no, well, yeah, it's, you know, I've had, I've had actually had conversations with a couple of podiatrists and, you know, they would say, I tell all my patients to never walk across hard surfaces and bare feet. And I go, really? I do it all the time. My answer is, really my, my answer to that is, do you really think that we're not able to walk across a hardwood floor and bare feet that that's, that that's normal? Yeah, yeah. They, they think that's normal. That's being taught. Yeah. And then I said to one of my friends and I, and I, I knew that that he was fairly religious and I laughed and I said, so you're saying God made a mistake. And it'll be really funny. And he goes, what do you mean? He doesn't make a mistake. And I go, well, apparently because without the other shoes, how would we go off? <laughs> what was his response? Did it freak him out or did he just kind of- that really fun? And he goes, huh? And he just kind of walked away. <laughs> People, you know, when you back people into a corner where their own logic has them unable to reconcile it, the cognitive dissonance is so severe. Um, It's so rare that you actually hear someone go, oh, at best, they do what you just described, like, huh, and then they walk away. Maybe they'll think about it in the future. But but boy, we don't. I was saying to some of the people who were, he and I were at sharing booths. He was on one side and I was on the other, which was kind of an odd match. But anyway. And I was sharing with people that, you know, the arch of the foot should be as soft as the palm of your hand. And if you think about how the foot works, it's very similar to the hand. And when the foot is solid like that, think if your hand was solid, you couldn't open the door in your house to get out. And so when you look at the foot, if it's as soft as the palm of your hand, now all of a sudden the foot can go back to work properly and walking barefoot is no longer a problem. I remember when I first started going barefoot, we had um, uh, in our next to our driveway, not, I don't want to call it gravel, but because they were, it was bigger than gravel. It was, you know, decent size, rocky things that uh, at first I could not walk across at all. It was, you know, super, super painful. And it's not like I went and tried it very often. I just didn't know what I could or couldn't walk on. So I was just walking and it's like, Ooh, that's not good. Um, And then some number, like a year later, I walked across it again, just not thinking no problem. And, yes. and I mentioned that to someone, they said, Oh, your feet, you know, they've become insensitive and they're, you know, you, you, the skin has gotten really thick. I went, no, 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 no. Um, check out the skin. It's basically the same. And uh, I would contend that two things are happening. One at three, one is I'm putting my foot down underneath my body. So I'm able to move and shift as necessary. Two is that my foot's gotten more flexible, I think. And the one that I, the biggest one that I can't prove that I wish I, I wish I was smarter and had thought to like record some of these things from day one is that um, I think my reflex arc has improved. I think I just step off of things more quickly if it's painful because I'm more right. sensitive to it. I'm more aware. So it's, you know, well, the go, go back to what I was talking about with the brain. Once the brain, once you do it a few times and the brain goes, Oh, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. The brain then goes, lessens the high alert. Cause the first time you see a pile uh. of rock that you can walk across the brain's like, Ooh, that's going to hurt. And then all of a sudden it goes into fight or flight. Well, then the muscles become tense. Uh, brilliant. Oh. And so it's, and that's what I say to people all the time. Your thoughts in your head control the muscular system in your body. And so think of the brain, like if you think of an octopus, think of the brain, like in the head of the octopus, but the muscles are like the tentacles. 
And so when you hear people talk about, well, they have muscle memory, you know, what about muscle memory? And I laughed and I said to a gentleman one time who, who worked at, with, with heart patients and I said, so you see a stroke victim, they have a stroke, they lose use of their arm and a leg. So if the muscles have memory in my arm and my leg, but my brain gets damaged, why would my arm and my leg remember how to keep doing what it was doing? And, and he looked at me really funny and he, he laughed. He goes, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Well, you know, I'm thinking about this, uh, that same thing in, in two, two other ways. One is one bit of muscle memory. Um, you see this with uh, like bodybuilders or weightlifters who got really big and then they stop working out and then they start again and they get back to pretty much the same size pretty quickly. So that's one version of muscle memory. It's just that. But the other one, I just had a flashback to watching um, a videotape of Ben Johnson, the Canadian sprinter. Let's ignore the fact that he got busted for steroids. And let's ignore the fact that the thing they busted him for was one that he didn't take because he tried it two years earlier and didn't like it. And let's ignore the fact that the guy who he said doped him when asked, did you actually dope Ben Johnson said, eh, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Let's ignore all of that for a second, <laughs> which is the most amazing admission I've ever heard. But uh, Ben, who's about my age, there was a video of him sprinting just, and you know, he's weighs 50 pounds more than he did before, but just coming out of the blocks, if you didn't know who it was, if you didn't know that he weighed that much, I mean, just looked perfect and gorgeous. And right. so this, the muscle memory is just getting those patterns in your brain exactly right. so that you can't exactly. do it wrong. Right. It's, it's neural pathways in the brain. Yep. And so, and the second thing is again, the brain is not afraid because he's done it. Yeah. What you know, it's so interesting. I, you said that. I just realized. So back when I was getting injured a lot, yeah. Um, uh, before, well, when I was getting injured a lot, there were a couple of things that happened when I just got back into sprinting. It took me two years. I realized maybe two and a half years till I wasn't afraid to go full speed. There you go. And then yeah. when I was getting minor injuries, my entire way of thinking about whether the injury was resolved was not how the muscle felt. Was am I afraid to go full speed or not? Exactly. Exactly. And I I'd never, never looked at hurt. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, and that's and it's also like, hurt. well, it's also like when you see, and there are a couple of times, because I've got a screwed up spine. Um, yeah. there, there are a couple of times with sprinters in particular, you know, you'll see, like, I remember watching, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing that I can't do names right now. Tyson Gay, who at the time was the fastest man in the world before Usain Bolt. And he was in a race and in the 200 and coming around the turn, just like it looked like someone shot him. He just exploded and, you know, fell to the ground. And um, and I could feel things similar, like similar in my body when I had problems where it was very clear that the nervous signal, the impulse didn't make it to the muscle at the right time. Right. And then then the brain just went, whoa, crap. And just, you know, yep. seized everything up. Yep. And I remember I remember I could almost feel that the message wasn't getting to the right place at the right time. And when I saw Tyson Gay blow up, it's like, ah, that's what just happened. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. It's like every time you stand up, the brain knows exactly which muscles to recruit so that you balance and don't fall down. You take a step and knows exactly what muscles to use. And so the thing is, is once the brain understands, and that's the importance of stretching this way is once the brain understands that the stretching, like we do in our stretch and release technique, once you, it understands that, now it lets it go, and there's no longer a fight. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Which this has been a total, total pleasure. We mentioned the landing page that people could go to so they could see how to do this uh, calf stretch we talked about. So I'm going to ask you to make sure you mention that. Um, okay. And um, and but how else could people find you to find out more about what you've been doing so they can have happier, healthy bodies? 
Great, perfect. They can find me at themusclerepairshop.com. Um, I have a newsletter that comes out every Tuesday, and I always put in uh, two videos of stretches, talk about specific uh, things that can go wrong with your body. Uh, so that's something you can continue to follow with that. I have a, a YouTube channel called The Muscle Repair Shop. I have uh, 60, 70 videos already on there, and I'm putting new ones out every Friday. And again, we're, we're showing specific things of, of how to solve those problems. And with the landing page, it's going to go to musclerepairshop.com slash movement movement. And I'll have not only the, the stretch, the calf stretch video, but I'll put in the hamstring video and the tennis ball massage. Tennis ball massage is, is one that, uh, as I had one doctor say to me one time, he came in and he had American Express because I had told him to put it in a sock and he had American Express written on his sock. And I said, what's up with the American Express? And he goes, I never leave home without this thing, man. He said, I've got one in my cars. I've got it in my office, my house. But it'll show you how to use the tennis ball on a sock against the wall and using your brain to soften your muscles so that your hips can be nice and soft and you can move better. I love it. I'm going to have a hard time finding a tennis ball to use because we recently got a dog and yeah, uh, yeah. the tennis balls are missing. Uh, they're totally MIA. Um, he hasn't figured out fetch yet. He just likes to take them somewhere. I don't exactly. know where. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Butch, once again, total, total pleasure. I, I'm looking forward to hearing from people who take advantage of checking out that site and seeing what you're doing and seeing what the results are. So, um, and uh, we'll stay in touch about that. So for everybody else, okay. thanks for being part of this. As always, a reminder, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Find all the previous episodes, all the ways you can interact with us. If you have a something you want to ask or something you want to say, if you've got a request or a complaint or someone you think should be on the show, maybe someone who thinks I have my head completely up my butt because I've been known to have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome before. I'm happy to have that conversation. You know, we can hack it out and find out what the truth is. So you can send an email to move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. But most importantly, no matter what you're doing, go out, have fun, and live life feet first. <laughs>